I'm, I'm really missing a lot of narratives that would help us and support our vision for a better future because I'm convinced that we can get there. I mean, mm. that's why I get up in the morning. You know, I want to create that. I want to participate in that. But I'm still missing a lot of those narratives and those feeds into my life mm. uh, for the good stuff and what we can do, what we can accomplish. And it, it's not for lack of ideas out there because there is, yes. you know. Stories for the Future, a podcast on a mission to get you excited and optimistic about the future full of fantastic opportunities. My name is Veslemö Klavnesberge, and I'm trying to figure out how we can all live good lives, have exciting jobs, and at the same time, take good care of the planet and everyone living here. I want to unlock the superpowers of everyday people so that together we can co-create a future we're all excited about. So come join me. The future is up to us and I know we can make it a good one. Okay, so today I really need to try to make the introduction short. Because with today's guest, I had so many topics I wanted to cover that he should actually have had at least two episodes. I have known Michelle Wolfstern for only a couple of years, but I feel like we have been friends for a much longer time. He is really one of the good ones, and I'm absolutely sure that you will see why I say that after listening to this episode. Michelle is the co-founder of Biomimicry Norway and Square Root. Previously a mechanical engineer in the oil industry, he decided back in 2015 to balance his karma and dedicate his career to sustainability and nature-inspired design. He then started Biomimicry Norway and became a certified Circulab consultant, holding workshops in Circular Economy internationally. Michelle has been involved in many projects related to the urban environment, from circularity in the construction sector to urban food production. In 2020, he also co-founded Square Root, a startup dedicated to catalyzing green space creation to make cities climate resilient. He is the author of the online course Design with Biomimicry at the Circulab Academy. An avid hiker, skier, and climber, Michel is mostly to be found outdoors during his free time. I have already decided that Michel needs to come back for another episode, at least, because we have so much more to talk about. But this episode is also packed with good stuff, so I hope you will enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Michel Wolfstein. So... We have talked about this for quite a while, uh, so finally, welcome to Stories for the Future, Michel. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And did you know that it is exactly two years and one week since we first met? Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so it's, funny. it's almost too bad we didn't do this recording a week ago because it would have been the two years anniversary. Because exactly two years and one week ago, I contacted you on LinkedIn 
because I had I had started to get a little bit to know the the amazing field of biomimicry and I by googling and doing some research I found out that you were the person to talk to about biomimicry in Norway. So I sent you a message on LinkedIn in English because I didn't realize that you were fluent in Norwegian. <laughs> mm. And then so then that was the first contact point um and then just a few weeks after that you did a TEDx talk at an event that I was a part of arranging and then just a few weeks after that again we ended up working together in this uh startup yeah it was a pretty packed end yeah. of the year <laughs> <laughs> it was it was mm. quite interesting to look back at that and so there's a lot of history uh, but we have to go back a little bit for the listeners so mm. the basics who are you michel um michel wolfstian um 39 years old. I am originally French. Now I'm French Norwegian. Quite mm -hmm. proud actually to have gotten the double nationality. Yes, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> It's been uh, 15 years. Yeah, at least 15 years. I'm in Norway now. Wow. And uh, very glad to call this country my home. But did you did you move to Norway because of your studies? Uh, in a sense, yes. So I did a master's in mechanical engineering in France and my engineering school was offering a double master's program, meaning that I could get the diploma also of a German university provided that I extend my studies by six months. And I did half of my studies in France and half of it in Germany. And being very conscious about the European context, I thought, okay, but with those studies, then I can prove that I'm also fluent in German. And with Europe on the rise, obviously, it would be very advantageous to be able to show some experience and fluency in English. So I decided to write my master's thesis in both in German and English, but mm -hmm. so do it in a company. And uh, with English as the speaking language, hence Norway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's natural. <laughs> so this season is all about how we can all have a positive impact on the future through our careers. I think your story is very interesting for a number of reasons, but the two, two main that I want to dig into are that you made this career shift at one point very similar to myself and the other thing is that you're especially skilled within a field that I think could be quite inspiring and interesting to people and that is biomimicry and you're also a co-founder of a company so that is also very interesting and inspiring I think so to start with the career shift part as myself you have a background from oil and gas Mm -hmm. So how did that start and yeah. how did it end? <laughs> It's a very good question. I was invited to uh, do a talk actually last year where I had actually to reflect back on my journey. And 
it's probably the first time where I truly sat down and thought about, okay, how did this happen? And from what I recall during my studies, sustainability started to be a little bit of interest. So we're talking back in 2005, right? So mm. it was a bit of a topic, but not a true um, focus for studies or companies. But um, talking with my friends, we were like, okay, this is on the rise. This is very interesting. I'd like to do something with that. But then you're also stuck in mechanical engineering studies. And there, of course, everything that has to do with cars and planes and stuff like that mm. you know, is the sex industry, mm. if you want. So, so you're kind of stuck in this culture in a way. And so... When, when I was looking for my master's thesis, I went to this job fair that was organized by my school in Paris. And there I th there was many companies that were gathered. And uh, since I wasn't looking for a job, I also showed up very casually with a t-shirt and <laughs> jeans and stuff while all the others were in suits. So it was kind of interesting the looks I got on the different stands that were there. And there was one stand that stood out a little bit uh, in the middle of the venue um, because it had huge pictures of the nature and all the guys were wearing polo shirts. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I'm going to mm -hmm. talk to these guys. It smells like adventure, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I talked to them. The company is uh, Schlumberger, which mm -hmm. is a big oil and gas services uh, provider. And I think I got caught in some sort of uh, cognitive dissonance, um, meaning that part of me was um, attracted by the smell of adventure, you know, having those mm. cool pictures of the desert, the jungle, the, the ocean. I'm like, wow, this is cool. And at the same time, it was oil and gas, so nothing that resonates with my values. And eventually the pull for adventure won me over and I justified this in my head by yeah but the oil and gas they know the end is nigh you know it's mm. it's over so they're gonna invest all the money they got in renewables and it's gonna be cool if I do a career in a big uh, corporation uh, that has the money and the power to do the shift then I'll be participating to that change and that's kind of how I fooled myself into, um, yeah, signing up for that because the guys on the stand were really nice. And, um, I talked to one of them who was sitting in Oslo. And that's kind of how I, I got into this master thesis in that company in Norway. Nice. And, um, they hired me right after that. And so by then I had fallen in love with the country. I mm. thought, wow, this is awesome. There's so much to explore here. I want to stay. And um, yeah, got caught in there. So so for how long did that last then? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a complex story, but maybe worth telling. So first I stayed for four years. And I recall that in my third year, if I'm not mistaken, I had a discussion with my manager who was trying to find out what I wanted to do with my career. Mm. And then I had already realized that, okay, it's not really going in the direction I want, renewables and all that. 
Yeah. So I found that that Schlumberger had services in uh, water services and uh, carbon storage and capture. And I thought, okay, that would be quite interesting. But I couldn't get the support of my manager on that. He thought it would be like a parking place for my career. And yeah, so I get quite disappointed by that lack of support and decided, but maybe anyway, I don't want to stay in that industry. Hmm. So I decided, okay, I'm going to save up some money. And for a year, it was uh, the downturn of uh, the oil industry. And I thought also it would be advantageous to show that I have like four years of experience before I hop into another job. So I saved up some money and decided to quit at the end of the year after that and um, travel in South America. So I went traveling, trekking for six months thinking that I would figure out what I want to do when I'm big. And that's not really what happened. It was a super interesting journey as much physically as inwards. felt like peeling myself like an onion and trying mm. to understand how I'm put together and what drives me and all that. So it was a fantastic journey. And at the end of it, I still didn't know where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. I was quite lost. And... I went back to Europe and I came to Norway just to visit some friends in the summer. And just before we landed, I looked up from my book out through the window. I could see the fjords and uh, the forest. And I was, I just got this deep feeling I'm back home. <laughs> so as we touched down, I had decided already, okay, I'm not going to fight this feeling. Norway is where I want to be. This is, uh, this is home now. So I'm going to have to find a new job here. And um, so I had a fantastic week there. I started looking into jobs and stuff. Um, a few months later, I found one, came back for an interview in September. And that was with a startup company that was working with scrubbers, if you want, or systems that would help rid the exhaust gases of big ships from the nasty stuff. And I thought, okay, that, that's quite interesting. That's much closer to my values. Plus, it's kind of cool to join a startup company. And yeah, so I moved back to Norway and was waiting for the contract because I didn't get the contract, but decided to move back anyway. And as you know, the uh, lifestyle here is quite expensive. So, yes. <laughs> uh, and plus also one thing that I found out during my journey was that after three months, actually, my brain was missing working, missing mm. solving some challenges. I'm very outdoorsy and love being out in nature, but I need the intellectual stimulation mm. that work can give me, right? So that was interesting to find out. And of course, as I was waiting for my contract and the guy promising me, then once he gave me the contract to hire me with a start three months later, I was like, okay, I've been sitting on my ass now for too long. <laughs> I need to get some work done. And I started applying. I probably sent 30 applications to various jobs from low qualified to more qualified and either didn't get an answer or got rejected. Mm. So I called back Schlumberger and said, okay, do you guys need somebody to fill in the gap for a couple of months? Uh, I know the system. I know the technology. 
And surprisingly enough, they said yes. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I got back into that for just a couple of months. They put me on a new project. I had to extend that because the startup had to postpone the start of my work. And eventually they said, oh, but we're not moving to Oslo anymore. We're staying oh. in Lyngdal, which is a place that I perceived as, okay, it's lost in the middle of nowhere on the coast. <laughs> you didn't want to move there. And I, No, I didn't want to be away from my social network because no. that was part of the reason why I came back, right? Yeah. So then I ended up quitting before I started there. Mm -hmm. And Schlumberger offered me a contract, which I uh, refused. And the only other alternative was to start a consulting company and then work as a consultant for them, right. which I did. Yes, And that gave me then the freedom to also pursue other interests mm -hmm. on the side, I thought. And uh, another long story short, I ended up staying another four years there because of I was committed to the project and I couldn't uh, hop out that easily. Uh, but the trigger for the change of career was actually my sister. Oh. Um, she kicked my ass proper. <laughs> she, we, I'm very close to my sister and we always have some good conversations. And at some point, I think she was in trouble with her career. And we had a phone call at the moment where I was tired and didn't really feel like having a difficult conversation. So I kind of took some shortcuts that she didn't appreciate, you know, in <laughs> what I said to her. And then, of course, she uh, snapped back and, uh, <laughs> and said, well, look at you. What have you done with your dreams? Like, <laughs> you... You always said that you wanted to work with sustainability and all that stuff. And yeah, the first thing you did is to go back in the oil industry. Hmm. Like, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> but it's fair. It's yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, things aligned very shortly after that. Because, well, she put me on that path of, okay, now it's enough. I need to hmm. do something about this. And then I get an email from the Biomimicry Institute that I was following for a while already. Uh, I had discovered biomimicry actually back in 2009, so a year before I left to South America. And, um, and that kind of was a wake-up call for me. I'm like, wow, I want to do engineering in that way, you know, get inspiration mm. from nature, take nature as a mentor to develop new sustainable solutions. And I had no idea where to start with that no right and so the mail was actually talking about those immersion workshops that they're doing and they had one that was coming up soon that was in costa rica i thought okay well spending a week in costa rica learning biomimicry um, that sounds amazing um, i need to i need to do something about my career and maybe that's where it has to start hmm. so i signed up for that And I signed up for another event that happened just before the uh, immersion workshop. That was called the Good Life Project Summer Camp. Mm. So I was following this guy, Jonathan Fields. Jonathan, yeah. Yeah. Who has this fantastic newsletter mm. that was resonating a lot with me because he's an entrepreneur and his. Uh, how can I say his mission was to find out whether it's possible to actually have the good life, you know, the this sort of work-life balance where you have meaningful work that you can get immersed into, but at the same time be a good father, a good friend, mm. 
and have a thriving life, basically. And I thought, wow, this is uh, this is fascinating. And I wasn't an entrepreneur at the time, right? But I thought the idea quite appealing. And he decided to organize this summer camp for adults um, where you would be attending different workshops on self-development and, you know. And so those two events, so first the summer camp and the biomimicry immersion mm. camp uh, were quite defining on the rest of my journey. So I decided to quit the oil and gas for the second time. And while I was still working, so the project was ramping down and I was committed to the end of project because I, I don't like giving up on people and uh, leaving mm. them in the mess. So even though it was the oil and gas, I thought, okay, I'll, uh, I'll go to the end of the project. And yeah, and from there, I just decided, okay, let's start an organization that we call Biomimicry Norway mm. <laughs> together with a friend that I had talked about this concept with. And um, so Nina and me, we just decided to start it and see what happens. First, we started with some workshops that we gave to, to universities design students mainly and then the idea was that we would do that also for companies and and the general public and hopefully get some consulting gigs so when i left the oil industry i just thought okay i'm a consultant anyway so mm. now i can be consultant in uh sustainability yes and, and biomimicry then and biomimicry and circular economy also. Mm. So I took a training into that and joined a network that, uh, that has its core in France, but uh, started to be international and that is called the Circulab. Mm. And so I got trained in a tool that they created and started to provide workshops in circular economy as well. Yeah. And that is kind of a game, is it? Yes, uh, it's kind of based on the business model canvas, but yeah. with a twist, um, meaning that it has a strong focus on circularity, which mm. the business model canvas doesn't have. It doesn't take into account the impacts of what you're doing. So that canvas actually forces you to, uh, to check what's your impact, positive mm. and negative, but also looks at the output and, okay, what's the end of life of your product? And, do you ensure circularity so that you put this in your business model? So that was quite interesting. Mm. And so with those tools, both biomimicry and circularity, I thought, okay, let's try and provide that, uh, provide workshops to companies. Yeah. And the thing is, we're talking 2015, 2016, right? Mm. And I still remember at that time in Oslo, you knew everybody that was dealing with sustainability. Yes, it's true. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was so small, you know, mm. and everybody was struggling because it's just people who were passionate about it mm. and the money wasn't going there because it wasn't put on the agenda high enough. But fortunately, the EU had um, put circular economy on the agenda. It started to become a buzzword and uh, with Horizon 2020, they put a lot of money into that. So, so we were trying to ride that wave, but we were a bit before mm. the wave. So everybody was struggling a little bit. Yeah, a lot has happened since then. Oh yeah, the few oh yeah. Last years, yes. Yeah, 
Yeah, because now I don't have an overview of no. all the people who work with sustainability exactly. in Oslo any longer. So many people. Uh, it's something it's something I want to, before we go further into biomimicry, is um, what happened when your, your sister kicked your ass, <laughs> like your <laughs> kicked you into action. Do you think that you yeah. would have discovered those opportunities, like the biomimicry immersion course and the Jonathan Fields summer camp, if you hadn't like because you somehow had to open up your awareness for other opportunities you know mm. i just i feel that that is something that happens to a lot of people you get some kind of a like push or a coconut in your head and then mm. suddenly you realize that oh there's other opportunities here and kind of the universe seems to work in your uh, in your favor in a way yeah I'm not sure what would have happened if my sister hadn't done that. Mm. Um, I think eventually I would have gotten out of the oil industry, but I think it would have taken me a bit more time. Yeah. Because it's a maturing process, right? And you have to acknowledge that for yourself as well, that changing radically is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. So you need to mature first and then something triggers the change where you're like, okay, now it's the last drop it's enough Mm. i need to do something about it and uh, no i think she definitely sped up the the whole process for me because it's kind of hard to fight the the comfort in a situation like when you were in the oil industry and for myself self as well even though things weren't perfect it was it was working it was Mm. okay and then it's it's quite hard to step away from that if you don't have this another external force in some way yeah because um it's very comfortable you know you're in your comfort zone and uh, i mean i had an interesting job also in the oil industry you Mm. know Um, it was super challenging and uh, yeah everything was right except the meaning part of the job yes in, in a sense yeah so yeah, but and that eventually was, yeah, it was itching too too much, so I had to mm. scratch it. <laughs> and what, what kind of skills and experiences and like transferable skills uh, do you see taking away from the oil industry, like <laughs> for what you're working on today? Yeah, that's it's a good one. I think ultimately because I've. I feel I've been reinventing myself quite a bit. Mm. It's probably more about the mindset and the the attitude you have towards work, towards solving challenges. The analytical mind that is quite important and how you go about solving problems and going into action and um, yeah, testing mm. things out. You know, mm. the whole um, scientific process. You, yes you test to verify hypotheses and then uh, adjust based on the result. Mm. So I think, you know, it's not the math, the physics and all that, that I learned in school also that I take with me. It's more the attitude, the way of reasoning. um, And that's very easily transferable to anything. I think, you know, today I'm, I got my startup. Remember when I was first discussing startup IDs three years ago, um, I was telling 
people that I would never go into uh, tech startup. You know, the digital stuff, that's not for me. I'm a mechanical engineer. It's at mm. the core of my identity. I need physical stuff. And there's a lot of space for the physical stuff and sustainability as well because we run into a material problem eventually. So I was like, yeah, the tech is just a hype. And now, mm-hmm. and now I'm co-founder of a company that is working with only tech. Yes. And I'm actually not missing the mechanical part, weirdly oh. enough, which I would have never guessed would happen, you know? So, yeah. So tell us about Square Root, your, the company that you have, that I guess is taking up most of your time these days. Yeah, so I'm working about 70% of my time on that. Uh, so Square Root is creating a productivity tool for landscapers. So we're helping landscape architects and entrepreneurs finding the right plants for the right place locally produced because there's a lot of import happening. Mm. And green spaces, now they're a strategic measure for climate adaptation because they help, amongst other things, with rainwater management and biodiversity, two things that are very high on the focus for municipalities and the European Union as well. So it's been put very high up on the agenda. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of other benefits to urban green spaces. And so we found out the idea didn't come from me. It came from my uh, original co-founder, Yo. Mm-hmm. who had been working on green roof solutions for a little while. He actually went through a drastic career change as well. Uh, he came from the energy sector as well, but Startcraft, so um, electricity. Yeah. <laughs> and and then he, he left his career and was really interested in green roofs and things like that. And through discussions with landscape architects, he found out, okay, there's a problem there and there's a need for a digital solution that helps them put together green spaces with meaningful ecosystems and also with the local production. And when the industry, the the producing industry is poorly digitized, you have a challenge there. Mm. And there's many stakeholders also that have to be aligned. And if you want to enable traceability and all that, you need to put them on a tool. So we're we're trying to develop that kind of tools. So it will be a, a digital platform. Right. Yeah. And it is so one example could be that somebody is putting up a new office building in, in the city and uh, you want to have green roofs, but you need to use the right plants for that local area. You want to source them locally and it should be yeah the right one. And that is yeah. not happening today, basically. No, that's our vision. And it's it's difficult, actually, for the landscape architects because um, and this, there's two problems here. One is the type of plants that they can access from the local producers uh, is not necessarily what they would like to be able to put on those rooftops. Mm. Um, and we're not talking only about roofs, right? It can be mm. on facades. It can be on uh, on the ground. Um so one is that they may not even have wh- what is what they need, but because they don't have a direct contact with the producers either, they can neither influence the production nor uh, know, or it's more difficult because the information is scattered. So it's difficult for them to know w- what they have and whether it can be sourced 
from those producers. Mm. But the, the truth is that we cannot, at the moment, and I'm not, unsure if it's even possible, we cannot source all the plants from Norwegian producers. No. Um, because there's too few of them. Mm. And the need is so big. Mm. Yeah, the import is quite huge. And we need to do something about that if we want to reduce the carbon footprint. Mm. But also plants that have grown abroad will not necessarily thrive in Norway, even though they're technically adapted to the Norwegian climate. The conditions in which they grew has something to say about their ability to survive once you displace them. And in some cases... Um, they would quickly die. Uh, but there's also cases where it's not a problem, obviously, yes. Mm. <laughs> we wouldn't do any import. So how, how is it going? How far are you from from? So now we're hoping to land in the coming weeks our first paying customers. We finalized our pre-seed funding round in August. And we got some support from Innovation Norway as well with the commercialization grant. So things are looking pretty good. good. And we're hoping to land some partnerships with various institutions in the sector and could help us both with data, credibility, and access to customers, obviously. Mm. Exciting times. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I, I would like to go a little bit back to biomimicry because mm -hmm. that was the first, the, the reason I contacted you in the first place. And to me, It was when I discovered that area, it was, it's really, really exciting. When you, when you, I started learning about all the different examples of products uh, that are built based on biomimicry principles and, and so on. And I think maybe especially for people coming from a technical background, engineers and so on, they would find it very interesting to use those principles so could you just like briefly tell us wh what is what is biomimicry and how how is it that we can use it mm -hmm. <laughs> quickly <laughs> <laughs> quickly yeah um so okay biomimicry is um a form of bio inspiration meaning that you take inspiration from nature but the purpose of your innovation is sustainability so you're trying to extract a sustainability gain from taking inspiration from nature the way this works is that you have to be able to ask how would nature solve this mm. right and in order to do that you need to bridge the design world and the natural world you cannot ask nature how she would design a mobile phone that makes no sense no right But there are characteristics, there are functions in a mobile phone, for instance, that you would be able to draw a parallel between those functions and functions that you can find in nature. For instance, you want your mobile to be maybe waterproof. Waterproofness is something that is solved in many places in nature. Uh, you want it to be light and resistant. Then you can look at structures of bones or other structures in nature. That's something that nature can do, right? Um, so th there's many functions for your, and qualities of the object that you're creating that you're going to be able to find also in nature. So the key really is to take your challenge, 
and break it down into functions. Mm. And once you've defined which functions you need, you need to try and see if you can translate that into natural functions. And that's that can be a bit tricky at times, I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. But um, but then that helps you look for the champions in nature, like the organisms that really perform for, for those functions. And then you can look at how do they solve it. So that implies that you'll have to go to databases. There's one that's uh, open source that's called asknature.org. Mm. Definitely recommend it. Yes. Um, so it's a good start, but then maybe you'll have to go into scientific articles as well, or you have to dig into it and possibly talk to a biologist or yeah. somebody who understands really how it's done. And then you'll have to extract the essence of the strategy from nature. Like how is it done? What are the important criteria and how can we put that into our product? So that's, if you want to do the, the product part of biomimicry. And um, of course, that's something that attracted me quite a lot as a mechanical engineer. Mm. And then I discovered that you can use it for social purposes as well. Yes, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, super fascinating. Yeah. So it's it's very versatile field and tool. And uh, so there's a book that I definitely recommend that's called Teaming with two E's mm -hmm. by Dr. Tamsin Woolley Barker. And that looks into superorganisms and how they function and how we can learn from those superorganisms. So when I say superorganisms, think about ant colonies or mm -hmm. bee colonies. And uh, you'll find out that, okay, those organizations, they have a lot of individuals just like ours, uh, but they function in a super efficient way. And their definition of leaders is very different from the one we have. Um, even though we call the uh, leading bee the queen in a hive, uh, the queen is not the one uh, making the decisions, right? Mm. She She's there for reproduction. She has many functions, but she's not acting as a dictator. Mm. How the hive is organizing the colony uh, – that's often group decisions that happens. It's very fascinating. Yes. And we have a lot to learn from that. Yes, we do. I think it's it's so fascinating to keep it at the back of your head when you're, you're moving around in both in nature, but also in society and think about different areas that you can compare to nature. And, and also like I was walking along the beach, looking at these leaves that are... You can see the raindrops, they are just r running off the leaf, like it's very water repellent. And then you can, yeah. oh, how could you, we use that? Just like having that as a mindset when you yeah. move around in the, in the world, that's very mm. interesting. Also, yeah, obviously the key thing I forgot to mention is that the reason why it makes sense to look at nature is that nature is sustainable. Yes. And obviously we're part of nature, but... Weirdly enough, we found ways to not be sustainable yeah. and like the rest of nature. So it makes a lot of sense to look at how those challenges are solved in nature and yeah, take inspiration from there. Okay, we have to talk a little bit about something called pådriv. And 
Mm-hmm. I'm. They don't know it yet, but I'm planning to to make a separate episode on this <laughs> with some other people from from this organization. I definitely uh, should. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I should. So, Podriv is something which I'm also involved in in myself, uh, trying to start it up in my own hometown. But you're working with Podriv in Oslo. So, what is what is it, and what do you do there? Yeah. <laughs> Podriv is an organization that is trying to, or not trying, they're actually doing it, catalyze the sustainable development of Huvinbuen, which is a big area in Oslo Mm -hmm. that has the ambition to triple its density by 2030 or 2040. Um, And Podriv acts as a binder almost, Mm. or a connector between different stakeholders. So they're trying to make sure that the different stakeholders that contribute to urban development talk together in a good way. And the organization is also trying to challenge them to revisit what, how they function and what they develop. And also, obviously, take into account what the citizens are thinking and how do we create a place where everybody is thriving, right? Because that's mm. the goal. The urban mm. environment should be a place where we're thriving. How do we do that? So you need to have the communal partners, uh, the private sector, and the society that talk together and collaborate to co-design the solutions for that area. And hopefully that will also inspire other cities and countries uh, in terms of model and uh, what we come up with and maybe that that can spur other innovations somewhere else and it's already been the case because it's spread even all the way to Mauritius yes it's very fascinating Mm. it is uh, catching on I think and now with you in Tetzberg yes (laughs) Mm. so it's and and you primarily work with Polarity in in Podrev different projects within that that's right so i have two roles actually in Podriv. one of them is so we created the working groups that gather once a month so we have people from different backgrounds different companies that join these working groups and mine is called um how do i translate this yeah (laughs) i guess the the city's sustainability Mm. Yeah, let's call it the city sustainability, which is very overarching mm. <laughs> and sounds very vague, but uh, the group has come up with uh, really good suggestions on how we can work strategically with that. And now we've launched a new project that's about creating a city portrait of Huvinbuen. And city portraits, for those who don't know, are about using what's called the donut economy and use that to create key indicators for the sustainability of the city and use that as uh, input for decision-making. And so maybe I have to explain the donut now as well. (laughs) (laughs) So the donut is defined, the outer range is the the limits of the environmental limits, meaning Mm. that if you breach that outer circle of the donut, that means that you exceed the level of carbons in the atmosphere, the level of temperature. Um, so the, there's uh, many categories there. 
And um, so, of course, you have to stay below those limits. But then the inner circle of the donut represents the social limits, meaning that if you breach those, you don't have enough food, let's mm. say, or enough health. That's not sustainable either. So the safe and just space for humanity is defined by that space between those two rings, right? And then along those rings, you have different sectors uh, that you can focus on. Mm. It's a very good model. The other yeah. task that I have in Podrive is in a project called Cirque which looks at the circularity of wood in the construction industry. So we look at how can we facilitate the reuse of wood from that industry. So a lot of buildings are going to get demolished. Mm. How can we use that material in the new ones? That's a very good example for uh, for other cities to look at as well, I think, mm. and uh, yeah. get inspiration from. Okay, so it's not easy to start a company. We both know that. And it's it's not always, it can be quite challenging, challenging to work within these different spaces that we have been talking about because maybe they're immature and they're constantly evolving and sometimes a bit hard to get people on board. So what what is it when when things are tough? What is it that drives you? <laughs> That's a good question. I think, well, the core driver, obviously, is the contribution. You know, feeling that I'm contributing to something that's important, uh, that matters, that has meaning, that's really the core. So I can always go back to that. I know now I had that solid fundament, if you want, that, okay, what I'm doing actually matters and it's important for the planet and it's going to help creating a better future. So that keeps me going. And then obviously the people around me. Mm. So I'm, I'm lucky to work with fantastic people. I'm lucky um, also with my girlfriend who's super supportive and my friends. And, uh, so that's obviously a very important element as well. And other person that gives me a lot of energy is working with my new co-founder, Marie. Uh, she's pretty awesome and has a lot of energy. So uh, having that dynamic is supporting me quite a lot as well. So I think we're doing a good job at supporting each other. And yeah, then the rest is a roller coaster, right? Yeah. Life is really. <laughs> but but do you feel that you you normally you look forward to another week and another Monday? I mean there's there's not a single morning where I wake up and wonder oh what the hell am I doing? Why am I getting up? Yes. Know? So I'm feeling very lucky in that sense as well. And that's and that's the place we want to be. So that like then my tagline or what should I call it for the podcast is how to create a good life and have an exciting job on a healthy planet. So if you get all these three right, I think we we got something. But a lot has to do with the people, I think, as well. You know, surrounding yourself with the right people. And going back to Podriv, you know, yes. I was telling somebody in the organization lately that it feels home to me yep. because of the people that make put they're genuinely good people and also the organization is not about just talking it's actually about action yeah and so it's the perfect combination so having that as a reference point maybe mm. uh, helps me also in my startup journey because you know it's a lot more violent the ups and downs in mm. that journey so so it's nice to have that as yeah as a reference point really 
to mm. look back to and like, okay, I remember that. Okay, this yeah. is w- what we're doing this for and for those people. And, yeah. I absolutely see what you mean. So we're approaching the end. Mm-hmm. The TEDx talk that you did, it's now almost two years ago. It was called Creating the Future We Want to See by Mimicry as part of the new paradigm. So that, that is very good leading up to my last question, question, which is about the future. How do we create the future that we want to see? Well, first we have to visualize it. Yes. We have to go back to what do we want? I did this really interesting exercise with students a few years back where instead of asking them, okay, how do you think the future will be? Ask them to close their eyes and try and visualize, okay, how do you want your life to be in 30 years from now? And then um, after a few minutes, I asked, okay, give me some keywords of what you saw for yourself. And then you had stuff coming up like slow living, um, being close to nature, and all those things, you know, nothing mm. related to technology. And we're talking design students here, mm. right? Uh, people who really can geek out about technology. And at no point technology was mentioned, which is very interesting. And I said, okay, but that future that you really want to live in, that's what you have to create your products and your services for. So take that as the starting vision. And it's difficult, really. Uh, I see it for myself as well, you know. It's a difficult exercise because we get caught up in so many so many things. So going back to that to those basics and and I also feel that we're lacking a lot of good stories, you know. The inputs that we get from TV series and movies especially, but also the media, you know, there's a lot of dark stuff out there. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, when we look at the future, often it's in an apocalyptic world or post-apocalyptic world, but this is not where you want to live. No. So I, I'm, I'm really missing a lot of narratives that would help us and support our vision for a better future because I'm convinced that we can get there. I mean, mm. that's why I get up in the morning. You know, I want to create that. I want to participate in that. But I'm still missing a lot of those narratives and those feeds into my life mm. uh, for the good stuff and what we can do, what we can accomplish. And it, it's not for lack of ideas out there because there is, yes. you know. Yeah. So, but, so, but uh, we have to imagine it. We have to be able to imagine it. That's, that's uh, where yeah. we have to start. Actually. Exactly, and focus on that. Yeah. So I make a conscious choice not to uh, to check what's on the news yeah. uh, every day yes. because there's too much focus on the negative stuff. And I have um, my other sources of information that actually support the, uh, the better stuff and mm. um, show the efforts that mm. go in the direction where I want to head. Mm. So with my second to last question, I I know I'm pushing it a bit because I I have like I have a very short time frame. But if you look back at March 2020, when when we had the lockdown and we were end of traveling and start of homeschooling and so on and so on, that's two and a half years ago. And look at everything that happened since then and everything that we have accomplished. We have created this vaccine. We have gone online we 
everything. So we have shown that we can do a lot in a short time period. Mm. So where do you ideally see society being in three years? Yeah, that's really tough. Ideally, I want to see all the subsidies that go to the oil industry go towards the renewables. Mm. Because I, and I think there's a lot we can do in terms of the incentive schemes, just changing the focus there. And that's doable very quickly. Mm. So that is one thing. Uh, and the other is yeah, the other thing I want to see is also us drawing down more carbon into the soil. And that's, we have the technology, so it's mm. doable as well. Because yes. there, there's no way, you know, we can keep going with carbon credits and, and all that. Mm. We, we have to take up the carbon. Mm. And that goes to the other thing I want to see is more effort on regenerative agriculture. Because I think that part is very much key to both taking care of the planet but also taking care of ourselves because Absolutely. yeah we need to pay more attention into the food we put in ourselves yes. and make sure that when we produce it we produce it in the right way for the rest of the planet yeah i think that was a very good answer <laughs> if we can get that done then it's we're... ambitious though <laughs> yes yes but you can uh, so where do people find you if they want to reach out about biomimicries, circularity, positive, anything? Where is it, uh, where's the easiest way? I'm well connected on LinkedIn. So that's uh, probably the lowest threshold as my email address is, is available both on uh, biomimicrynorway.com and squareroot.cc. So just shoot out an email and yeah, I'm fairly good at answering. Yes, you are. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So thank you so much. It has been thank a you. pleasure. Likewise. And, uh, and good luck on all your projects. And fingers crossed for Square Root and uh, yes, everything that you're doing. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to further collaboration with you also on Podrid. Absolutely. And with you, I can absolutely say that uh, we will talk soon again. <laughs> because yeah, definitely. I know <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to that too. Can you see why I want him to come back? I have already thought about so many more things I wanted to talk to him about, but that will be for later. I think Michelle is such a wonderful example of how you can reinvent yourself. Coming from being a mechanical engineer in the oil industry to everything that he is doing today, so inspiring. And the best thing is that we can all do this and we don't have to get anyone's permission to do so. Just start exploring. Go and check out the info page to this episode to find all the links and how to get in touch with Michelle. He is such a nice person and I'm absolutely sure he will reply. Until next time, enjoy the rest of October and I will be back very soon. Stories for the Future is made and edited by me, Veslemar Klavnesberge. You will find all links and information for this episode and everything else related to this podcast on storiesforthefuture.no. 
If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you would like to show your support and make it easier for other people to find this podcast, I would be really grateful if you would leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at Stories for the Future. Until next time, go out and make a dent in the world. There's work to be done and impact to be made. And we can actually have a lot of fun along the way.